Jesus. Someone's gonna break him! Oh god, what did I just pour into my gullet? I have her! I like them on my face. That tongue was huge! I want the guy to be home. Welcome to the fourth episode of the long-awaited Amazing Race Australia 2 recaps from Reality TV Warriors. My name is Michael Armstone, and joining me as always is the Canadian who is always looking for something he can both rock and smash, Logan Saunders. Good afternoon. And the lady who we always have to let off with a warning for her language, Michelle Pierce-Denovan. <laughs> morning. Good morning. I can't wait to do this episode. I've been waiting all week to do this episode, given how... Frankly, as I said on Twitter a few days ago, this is the episode people think about when they think Amazing Race Australia. Not Amazing Race Australia 2, Amazing Race Australia. The whole franchise. <laughs> Just this episode. It's funny because did you see my um, Facebook? I, I met Michael McKay on Saturday and I told him we were podcasting about this episode next and he went, oh, the Dubai link. <laughs> <laughs> I can't believe you just you just met him in person by pure coincidence. Well, he he produces carols, and so I knew he'd be there. So I was looking out for him, and then when I saw him, I just went up to him. Yeah, I love how you just kind of casually drop that into conversation, like we knew. Well, I don't know if I knew. you knew or not. <laughs> I didn't. Oh yes, no. Logan liked it last night or sometime. Yeah, yeah. There's a picture. There's a picture in the Amazing Race Australia group of myself and Michael. But yeah, this is genuinely, I would say, a contender for the most infamous Amazing Race episode ever. There's an argument to be made. It's bonkers. It's definitely, it's. I mean, it's one that gets, it's the most talked about episode from the whole franchise. And it gets talked about more than most American seasons of Amazing Race. Entire seasons of Amazing Race. <laughs> I mean, to be fair, I don't think many people are talking about anything from the last like two american seasons anymore and bearing in mind we're recording this a week after one of them had finished that's a good point from watching 27 different recap podcasts about season 34 season 33 was very rarely mentioned even though there's a huge amount of overlap in the structure of both seasons so let's rip into this episode then. Previously, ten teams were taken to Jaipur, where Kim and Donna's one-sided blood feud with Paul and Steve continued at an inadvertent pot-smashing challenge. Sticky and Sam won their second leg in a row, but all was not well for Sue and Teresa, as they couldn't crack the second roadblock and were the second team sent home. And teams must now travel to Delhi and then fly to Dubai in the United Arab Emirates. Once there, they need to find their next clues at the airport car park. But first... Before leaving the pit stop area, teams must show their hand and find a must-vote U-turn board, allowing them to vote for who should be U-turned on this leg, and they have $60 for this leg of the race. And most people, when they think of this leg, go, oh my god, it's the one where Lucy and Amelia get arrested. They don't automatically think, oh my god, this is the one time that they actually air a must-vote U-turn, and it's actually got the correct format. And it's one of the very rare times that a team gets eliminated while sleeping in their car. They get the Mayan Oliver treatment. It's one of the rare Grant eliminations. 
Very strange. So it's Sticky and Sam leaving at 1.37pm, Ross and Taryn at 1.39, Michelle and Joe at 1.44, Kim and Donna at 2.10, Paul and Steve at 2.12, Shane and Andrew at 2.15, James and Sarah at 2.17, Joseph and Grace at 2.17 but not in the same shot, and Lucy and Amelia at 2.42pm. Again, last. <laughs> Only an hour and five minutes this time, though. <laughs> so Sticky and Sam, for obvious reasons, you send Paul and Steve, as do Ross and Taryn and Michelle and Joe. Kim and Donna say that they could vote for them out of, you know, their race performance, but they're doing it entirely out of spite. This is an unusual one where it's just outright, where are you you turning this team because we do not like this one guy on the team? Yeah. I think in this episode and the next one especially, I'm going to be defending Paul a lot. I think Paul, as many people have pointed out with this season, is rather misunderstood. Well, these two episodes, Paul takes a lot of punches where I think after the first three episodes, viewers are thinking, man, I really want Paul to get his comeuppance. And then after you see this episode and episode five, you're thinking, eh, that was a little bit excessive on everyone else's part. Yeah. It gets to the point inadvertently with this must vote U-turn, but it does get to the point in these two episodes where I feel really bad for Paul and it gets borderline towards everyone ganging up on him. And it getting a little uncomfortable. It makes you wonder about the about the overall ethics of a must vote U turn twist. Yeah, because it's like, it's one thing to not like a racer, but when there's six of eight teams all go after the same team, and that team hasn't even been doing that well up to that point. I think Paul says through the first four episodes. Through the first four legs, they never finished higher than fifth, I think. So it's not they're not being U-turned because they are they are threats are doing exceptionally well so far. I mean they've had their moments where they've been up in first place temporarily, but there's other teams in the race that have been doing a lot better than them so far, and they didn't receive a single vote to be U-turned. So this one just comes off as really personal, which Viewers who prefer Amazing Race over Survivor tend to not like it when it's essentially a team getting voted out or being ganged up on due to social politics. Yeah, but he's, I think Aussies hate obnoxious people and he was just being totally obnoxious. Now he's doing that to camera. I don't know whether he's doing that, you know, to them or saying things like that to them or they can hear things like that that he's saying. But if he's saying, stuff like that to their face or in their earshot, I can imagine why, because Aussies hate that kind of thing. But even if he's doing well, they would still, even if he was doing, he was he was coming last, they'd probably still target him. Australians like George, though, and he's an arsehole. No, you know worst. what, he's a bit derisive, you know, divisive. He, he was the worst. I know, but people, it's about half and half. Not everyone loves George. It's hard. And he's coming back. So the group's going to be another nightmare for me. <sighs> Don't remind me. <laughs> yeah, I love Must Vote U-Turns. I've talked about them for years on the podcast as being a really fun twist. But I think in this case, it probably crosses the line a little bit with getting too personal. And I'm I'm wondering whether it getting personal is the reason we don't see the second one this season. That's a good point, because the second one 
it's a team that everyone really likes is on the receiving mm. end of it. Yeah. It's the complete opposite to this one where it's nothing personal. It's the fact that they are huge threats. I mean, the must U-turn is a really good good twist in, in this format. And it's just funny, just all the different iterations we've seen over the years of it, not just within the Australian franchise, but also when um, the Amazing Race 31 totally botched how to do a must U-turn. And it's funny when we see it come up again in Amazing Race Australia 4, where to this day, both Tom and Tyler think production just randomly revived that twist to ensure they had a higher chance of going home at the final four to make the finale like a lot more interesting. Yeah, it's very interesting, the whole aftermath of this must vote U-turn, because arguably it makes Paul a lot more sympathetic. And it does set up a hell of a storyline for the rest of the season, where before it was just, oh, the older couple is feuding with this uh, with this random obnoxious guy. And now it's, oh, all the attention is on Paul from here on out. There's not going to be a bigger character than him, arguably, through the rest of the season. And a cast full of really big characters. Yeah, don't get me wrong, I think Paul would be a nightmare to be around. But the problem is that everyone ganging up on him in this leg and the next one really makes him far more sympathetic to the audience than potentially he could come across in some of his comments. The really awkward layer to it is everyone seems to really, really like Steve, and he gets U-turned anyway. So you can't help but think just, hmm... How much more did we not see for people to say, I really like Steve, but God, I hate Paul so much more. Yeah, exactly. So Paul and Steve themselves choose Sticky and Sam, for obvious reasons, who have a confessional talking about how Sticky's arm isn't a good cover for them anymore after they've won the last two legs. Shane and Andrew say they had Paul and Steve in mind as well, and Paul and Steve are bringing the business attitude out for leg four, and that is how serious they are about the race. Kim and Donna pay a thousand rupees to get to the travel agency, which is, you know... A lot of money! So brilliantly edited. It's like, oh yeah, Paul's negotiating over 370 and Kim and Donna are just like, yeah, have our entire leg money. We won't need it. <laughs> Those buffheads don't know how to do anything. Oh, let's pay more than three times as much as they did for the same freaking cab ride. You sure changed me! (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) I didn't shortchange you. You spent your own money. You were greedy to me. (laughs) And in the continuation of my favourite running editor's joke for the entire season, Joseph and Grace leave the pit starts, and Grace cannot pronounce the word Emirates. She instead says Erebus. And this is the third leg of the trot where she has mispronounced the location that they're going to. It's kind of funny because she speaks the language. Hmm. (laughs) It's just amazing. She doesn't know anywhere, obviously. And I did pay attention to this. She does correctly pronounce Istanbul the next leg, which is a real shame. I was hoping she'd she'd butcher it again. (laughs) Keep it up. (laughs) Istanbul. We're going to Istanbul. Why is the travel agent so confused about booking a flight to Istanbul? <laughs> I hear he's the manager. 
Joseph and Grace have no issue with Steve, but Paul is playing too hard and not right. He's very selfish. James and Sarah automatically thought of Lucy and Amelia because they're the only team that is behind them. How good is that? They're the only one who were really, they were really strategic. Yeah, but they don't seem to understand how this U-turn works. They seem to think that it's an immediate U-turn, and obviously yes. it isn't. <laughs> and also, who U-turns Lucy and Amelia, the loveliest people ever to get cast on an amazing race? Well, you know, she's trying her best to be strategic. And if you bring Lucy and Amelia into a final leg, 50-50 shot. <laughs> <laughs> And equally random is Lucy and Amelia U-turning Shane and Andrew because they're strong and can handle it. And they are particularly excited to be heading westward as they know they're getting closer and closer to Europe. And just think of that quote in, let's say, three episodes time. It's funny that Lucy and Amelia had the foresight to see how strong Shane and Andrew were, even in Lake 4, thinking, we're U-turning Shane and Andrew because we believe they are the strongest team in the race, while everyone else will just go on a spree of mocking Shane and Andrew, especially at the start of Lake 5, where everyone has already written off Shane and Andrew. But Lucy and Amelia seem to be very perceptive about other teams, and clearly they aren't wrong when they pick out Shane and Andrew as, as the strongest team here. I know I've said this before, but this season is brilliantly edited for all the foreshadowing. Because you get stuff like the Kim and Donna paying far too much money thing here. You get Lucy and Amelia's quote about, yes, we're going towards Europe, we might have an advantage soon. And you get them also you turning Shane and Andrew being like, yeah, they're the strongest team in the race, keep an eye on those guys. And contrasting it with literally everyone going, oh, those guys are probably already in Abu Dhabi by now. I wonder if how well known it was amongst the teams that Shane and Andrew were just getting screwed over by cab driver after cab driver through the first three legs. <laughs> and that the, maybe maybe Lucy and Amelia saw Shane and Andrew do some of the tasks really quickly or just just through interacting with them picked out that Shane and Andrew were a lot brighter than what the other teams and even the commercials for Amazing Race Australia were giving them credit for. I think the irony is actually that all of the teams who came in to this season going, we're going to be really underestimated. Sticky's only got one arm. We can use that for a little while. We're young and blonde. They're going to underestimate us, but we're flight attendants. That sort of stuff. Shane and Andrew were the actual underestimated team up to this point in the season. Nobody even thought that Shane and Andrew were a threat, apart from Lucy and Amelia. Mm. It's very interesting. They have also never seen a street urinal before because they've not been to Amsterdam. What is that? What to say. <laughs> hang on, hang on. What do you mean? I don't say urinal. It's urinal. That's very strange. Do you say urinal? Yeah, I say urinal. Urinal. It's weird. It's urinal, isn't it? It's not urinal. Well, I suppose I've never heard an English person say it. I've only ever heard Americans, maybe. Well, I don't know. I call it urinal, but. A street urinal? Is this normal? Logan, how many countries does this happen in? Because uh, you mentioned more than me. I've de- well, definitely, we definitely saw in Amsterdam. Yeah. I think really? a couple of the Central European countries have them, yeah. Wow. I kind of can't believe we're getting into this on the podcast, but the thing about European <laughs> toilets, public-wise, is that you do tend to have to pay for them. Yes. So if you go into a McDonald's in most of Western Europe, there will be a woman with a dish. And you've got to pay a 50 centimes or whatever. 
they have them everywhere in in Central Europe because that is a way for people to not have to then go pay in McDonald's. People, or men. You know what I mean. <laughs> the she-wees. She-wees are a thing, Michelle. They might oh, be sponsoring geez. us next, so you got to keep mm. them kind. But yeah, it, it's a way to get around having to pay for public conveniences. Is to have the uh, the street urinals. How about make going to the toilet free? What a novel idea. The solution that they had in Greece was to put a code on the uh, the bathroom door and you just had to buy something. And there was a code on your receipt, which they also have in the UK. Malta, a lot of European countries do that as well. Or, or I think in general, that's, a, that's actually more of a worldwide thing now, where they put the code on the receipt for the special for like for the McDonald's bathrooms and stuff. Yeah, and paying for public conveniences is a very Central Europe thing and also a Benelux thing in France as well. France loves paying for toilets. I think that the most expensive is France. It's usually 50 centimes. And in fact, I think it was last year or the year before, UK train station toilets became free finally, because you used to have to pay like 25 pence for them. Jeez. So once they get off the train, there is a mad scramble for taxi to the airport, and Kim and Donna, Shane and Andrew, James and Sarah, Michelle and Joe, Sticky and Sam and Joseph and Grace are all on the first flight, scheduled to arrive at 6.10am. Paul and Steve find a connection by Mumbai, and Paul's frustrated that Steve then shares the information with Ross and Taryn and Lucy and Amelia when they are their competition, and they will not hesitate to step on their heads. And all three then book that connection, due to arrive at 8.15am. Can you actually imagine Lucy and Amelia stepping on anyone's heads? <laughs> They would probably just stumble and fall over while trying to stomp on somebody's head and then just end up rolling on the ground and then just find themselves in some sort of restricted area. And then the sirens go off and it's like, oh, this was all this is all just from trying to step on somebody's head. This did not work out well. And perhaps unsurprisingly, there seems to have been a, uh, a clothing rule in the information to fly to Dubai as well because Sarah is not in her rara skirt or short sleeves when they arrive. She changes on the plane. And this is the best she's done all season, so maybe modesty was the answer. <laughs> she also isn't wearing her hunters in this leg. It sounded like she was wearing some kind of heels at one point. She was walking somewhere and, and it didn't pan down to her feet and I'm like, oh, I just want to see what she's wearing. I think in the next leg at least, she's got something that isn't a hunter on it's like a it's still a heel yes but it's more open toed yeah it's next leg yeah i presume she probably had them on this leg as well so teamsters now drive 90 kilometers into the alpha car desert and perform their detour which is dune bash or camel dash in dune bash teams must drive a dune buggy around a 10 kilometer course to get their next clue and in camel dash teams must ride a camel around a short course and collect four flags to receive their next clue which one would you guys have done Oh, look. Dune buggy. But no, they get bogged so easily. I'd probably try camel. You're also at the mercy of a camel. I know. So many people switched away from the camels. I know. I know I'd get bogged. I just know. I just, it just would happen. I want to know how long, who was it that got helped out? How long they had to be there before they were given help? Was it Sticky and Sam? Yeah, Sticky and Sam, they took too long to get out, so people helped them. So what? what is the turning point? Yeah, I think I think in a detail like this, which you can ignore actually what it is, it's animal versus really fun thing. 
the temptation is always going to be avoid the animal because it's unpredictable yeah. and just go for whatever's going to be the most fun. Especially in a season like this where you've got the detail right at the start of the leg. You're going to have a chance to catch up if it's the wrong choice. Especially when you know pretty well that Paul and Steve are getting U-turned. Yeah. I think you always go for something like Gene Bash just because it's fun. And if you get eliminated, at least you did something fun out of it. No. <laughs> you have the wrong idea there. Oh my god. The thing is, if you are a team in this leg, you have Lucy and Amelia there who everyone is just assuming is going to get eliminated at some point soon. You've got Paul and Steve there who everyone knows is getting U-turned. You have a bit of a buffer here. Yeah, I suppose, but still. You can't think like that on the race. Oh, at least we had fun. I mean, you can, because you can do the Lucy and Amelia attitude of we're having as much fun as we can because every leg is a blessing right now. So Joseph and Grace speak a little bit of Arabic and use it to their advantage, and perhaps unsurprisingly, they are the first team to arrive at the detour. And as has been mentioned in their bio, their mother is Lebanese, hence why they speak Arabic and they have gone there on holiday. I like how when I blogged about the season years ago, I thought, eh, I wonder if Joseph, Joseph and Grace are Lebanese and I turned out to be right. Yep, because I was the one who pointed it out to you. <laughs> <laughs> so actually our conversation about the diversity thing in uh, in episode one, you do have more diversity than you think, because Joseph and Grace are obviously half Lebanese. You've got Paul, who's um, half Filipino, I think it was. He's definitely got uh, Filipino heritage. You've got Adam and Dane. So that's that's five of 22 straight away. I think if the, if the, if season two had aired today, that the Lebanese background would have definitely been pointed out in episodes as well as, well, I guess Paul's background was pointed out. Although, does it ever come up again, him being Filipino? I don't think it does. I think it was just episode one. No, they only mention it in episode one where Paul's like, oh, I've not seen my cousin in years. Yeah, they would have been, they would have followed more up on that, I think, in future legs where that would have been loosely referenced. And I'm gl- and I was really hoping that Grace would mispronounce the name of the desert. It's Michelle and Joe who I think have my favorite mispronunciation of it. Yeah, I'll fuck you. Is uh, is how Michelle pronounced it, I believe. You know, it wasn't somebody who speaks English that much if they name if they name the desert El Faka. <laughs> you're you're just asking for trouble. Any detail there is an absolute hoot. <laughs> So Joseph and Grace say that they knew there was a chance of getting bogged, but Joseph couldn't resist taking the opportunity to drive dune buggies in the desert. Michelle and Joe struggle immediately with their camel giving them whiplash and change details to dune bash. <laughs> I believe the way you phrased it on your blog, Logan, was um, that Joe was two seconds away from getting Christopher Reeved. <laughs> it did look like that. I forgot I made that joke. Yeah. <laughs> did wins when I was looking at your blog yesterday <laughs> that sounds like something I would write well it was scary though the cow was not cooperating Grace hits the gear stick with her thigh and puts the buggy back into neutral immediately bugging her and Joseph and this is a great ad for Honda who sponsored most of this season without Honda this season would not have happened Grace also doesn't know what traction is and gives up helping Joseph dig the buggy out, instead deciding to make sand angels. Jesus Christ. Seriously, woman. We need traction. Uh, what, is, what does traction mean, Joseph? Does she not know what traction is? How old is she? And why the hell isn't she helping him? And why is she lying down? Like, seriously. 
Haven't you ever made sand dune angels before, Michelle? Wouldn't you be sweaty? Like, seriously, has she got how much sand has she got stuck on her right now? I'll I'll be honest, as soon as this came up on the episode, I just had a note that was like, give Michelle about five minutes to rant about this. (laughs) She was not, she's not going to be happy. Like, I'm, it's just so ridiculous. Like, so ridiculous. Come on. Do you think Grace knows the word for attraction in Arabic? I think if this leg proves nothing else, Grace has zero self-awareness. Because her next quote is talking about how hot she is to her own brother. (laughs) Yeah, the quote I wrote... Wrote that quote down too, and I'm sure I went about it in my blog as well, where she says, yeah, there's no one to show off to, Joseph. There are no hot girls around here. Well, there's one, but she's your sister. What? Uh, what? <laughs> and the worst thing about this is, that was the episode title. Was it really? A version of that quote was the episode title. I don't think it was the, the hot girl is your sister bit, but... This quote from Grace is the episode title of this episode. Oh my god. What, there's no one to show off to? I think it is there is no one to show off to, yeah. But it is from this conversation between Joseph and Grace. (laughs) So Kim and Donna are both huge petrol heads, and Kim describes it as something she could rock and he could smash. Michelle and Joe get bogged and immediately start shouting at each other, and Shane and Andrew get led to the detour, and Sticky and Sam spot a flag on the motorway, which I thought was very interesting. And it's Joseph and Grace who leave June in first, with Kim and Donna in second. Teams must now drive themselves to the Wild Wadi Water Park and surf their way to the next clue, which is hanging over the end of the Flow Rider. Now, Michelle, you have done some cruises before. Have you ever done the Flow Rider? Um, yeah, I did it in Dubai actually, but not at, at Wadi. I did it at um, Atlantis. Yeah, it's fun, fun. So I could I could go down there. That was that's quite easy. Um, I did a bit on my knees as well. So on your knees, it's harder when you've got all that water. But yeah, it's easy. Have you done it before? I have done it on a cruise ship. Mm. And in fact, we will get into this. Someone nearly loses their bikini, but I very nearly lost my swimming shorts. (laughs) Logan, have you done it? No, I I I have not been on a flow rider. I very nearly gave the spectators a show that they were not anticipating. <laughs> and for for some reason, the Jet and Cord theme song plays as Grant Bowler introduces the Flow Rider. Well, this entire leg is very interesting location-wise, because obviously after World Wadi, there is the roadblock that gets on air that we only know about because of your interview with Shane and Andrew. You're welcome. But so many of these mid-season legs were not spoiled exactly, but RFF lost them for a little while and lost them doing double legs in certain places and things. Did they lose them in the al desert? They didn't. The only reason that they knew they were in Dubai is because there was a sighting of someone who works in the media, I think it is, and is an expat living in Dubai was at the Maidan race course at the same time they were, and actually went down and spoke to all the teams and stuff. So they knew exactly who had gone home by this point. And then there's, like, no real live sightings until Vancouver, I think it was. Oh, that's a humongous gap. I was thinking they'd be spotted in Paris. No, they weren't spotted in Paris at all, and they found out about Cuba after teams had already been spotted in uh, Vancouver. How do do they find out about Cuba in hindsight? 
there was a tip off of some description. I don't know what it was, but um, there was a sighting of teams, ambiguous teams, running around looking for shoe shines in Istanbul, and then there was basically nothing until Vancouver live sighting wise. Because this is something I'm keeping an eye on. Because this was really not a well-spoiled season at all. Uh, so before teams leave the desert, they must drive past the U-turn board and see if they're U-turned. And both of the leading teams are not surprised that Paul and Steve were U-turned. And in fact, six of the teams U-turned them. Yeah, they almost ran out of space on the board to show all the teams who had U-turned Paul <laughs> and Steve. Shane tries to be the camel whisperer, but perhaps unsurprisingly it doesn't work. And Sticky and Sam drive past, basically mooning Michelle and Joe as their bogs. And despite the girls asking for help, they wish them good luck. <laughs> Boys, can you help us? Ah, good luck, girls. <laughs> the best thing is, they then go around the corner and get bogged themselves and nearly fall down a hill. <laughs> and I warned you guys a few days ago when I was watching this episode again, that there was something at the detour that in, at this point when this comes out, 11 years no one has spotted. And it comes from James and Sarah with the fogging up scene. When she tries to get his glasses off and he can't see what he's doing. <laughs> yeah, James's goggles fog up. and Sarah tries to help him by removing them, yep. which obviously makes things a lot worse. But there is an uncensored fucking hell in this scene. Was there? Yes. Sarah drops an F-bond. I've seen this episode so many times and I've never picked up on it. But Sarah says, fucking hell at one point during this scene, and I've clipped it to send to you guys deliberately after we finish these recordings, because I was shocked when I heard Sarah say fucking hell, because I was not anticipating them missing it in the editing suite, but nobody has spotted this in 11 years. It's great. Well, I didn't even spot it last night. Yeah. And I wrote down about the scene, about the glasses. Yeah. How many times have we collectively seen this season <laughs> and nobody has spotted this? Logan's not even talking. He's just trying to figure out what, what, how we missed it. Yeah, because usually I pick, I pick out the uncensored uh, profanities on The Amazing Race. I'm surprised I missed that one. Yeah, Logan's going back and checking the episode. But yeah, Sarah does drop a, um, a pretty big F-bomb and it's very clear um, during the... Um, the laughing scene after uh, after James tells us to sod off with taking her glasses off. <laughs> I love how when they stop, she falls out of the vehicle. <laughs> <laughs> she just kind of rolls out. <laughs> I mean, it's a good job she wasn't still in a rah-rah skirt because she probably would have given the cameraman a, uh, another sight. <laughs> oh, another team is arrested in Dubai. Shane and Andrew did some pretty good impressions of the camels out of frustration. They also did impressions of Paul at the start of this leg, too. I think it's just kind of become a sport for these teams to do impressions of Paul. Shane and Andrew especially, they have some uh, some pretty good Paul impressions in the, uh, the sort of mid All right, make sure he's not fleecing you. Why is he from the Wild West? <laughs> <laughs> We've not even covered Belkia's Arizona season yet. <laughs> Well, these camels are cantankerous bloody things. I didn't think Logan's impressions could get any worse. <laughs> so the second place arrives and all three teams pick June Bash. And then Shane and Andrew also swap to June Bash. And Michelle and Joe learn that they need momentum to get up the hills. And they see Sticky and Sam bogged and drive past them, saying that it is karma. What's momentum, Joseph? <laughs> I'm going to make momentum angels. 
Michelle and Joe then leave June in third, just as Joseph and Grace arrive at the water park. Grace thinks that the float rider will be easy, but let me tell you, it is not. And Joseph eventually grabs it. And if you believe the episode, teams must now drive themselves to the Maidan Racecourse, home of the world's most expensive horse race, and pick a winning horse. If their horse wins, they will receive their next clue, but if the day's racing of six races ends, then one of them must piggyback the other across the finish line. And I've done a little bit of research on the Maidan Racecourse, because it's home to the Dubai Cup, which, as Grant Bowler does say, is the world's most expensive horse race. There's something like $100 million worth of... uh, Betting happens at the Dubai Cup, apparently. A hundred million dollars? Yeah, this is one of the rare times that a fact on Amazing Race is actually true. <laughs> uh, the Maidan Race course was also only open for about a year and a half when this season filmed, so it was still very new. And it appears that the racing at Maidan doesn't usually start till about 6pm, which makes it quite clear that there was a task that was skipped in this episode. So what was the task? Tell us. It was an unaired roadblock, and one team member had to abseil down a skyscraper to get that next clue. And obviously the um, order did not change. Well, it did, because Shane and Andrew caught up as a result of it. Well, not too much, though. No, but it is actually the reason why Kim and Donna eventually throw the towel in, because they couldn't find the skyscraper. Because apparently that building was the toughest thing to find during the whole leg. Yeah. And talking to Kim and Donna, they get directions, but they're a little bit confusing. And Kim says that they need to find someone to lead them there. And they get a flat tyre hitting the curve, leading us into an ad break. Shane and Andrew knew that they would have to absolutely thrash the bejesus out of the dune buggy to make up some time. But luckily, Andrew is an emergency pursuit driver. <laughs> Sticky and Sam get rescued, not that we do actually see it on screen, but then immediately get bogged again. And they, for the first time this season, get a little bit frustrated at each other. Yeah. And it's James and Sarah who leave June in fourth, although the lower third does say that they're in third. Kim changes his tyre, and he says he clipped the curb driving on the wrong side of the road for the first time ever. And him and Donna have no money left and can't buy a map, and they are getting a bit tired and cranky with each other. I hear that Kim accused the curb of running into him. You ran into me! (laughs) He just starts shouting at an inanimate curb. Why the hell did you do that? Paul sabotaged me first, and now this Curb has sabotaged me. It's a surprise stowaway team, Curb and Steve. Curb and Steve. (laughs) They're the most curbiest team you'll find on the race. Joe says that she doesn't like anything that's out of control, but Michelle forces her to go on the flow rider first, and she grabs a clue immediately, leaving in second. I really wish, I really wish they had flow rider performing there. Well, he did San Marino's Eurovision thing, so it's not out of the question anymore. Might have been in 2011 when they filmed this, but I don't think it is in uh, 2022. And adding to the list of things she doesn't understand, Grace says she doesn't understand horses, and she doesn't understand anything. Does she understand camels? Oh my god, like, why would you say this crap on national television? Like, seriously, woman. I think she just wanted airtime, to be honest. I mean, by the end of next episode, I will be fully arguing that Grace was actually the villain of the season. Spoilers. But I think she just wanted to say things she knew would provoke a reaction, whether that was out of Joseph, whether that was out of other teams, whether that was eventually out of Paul. I think she just wanted to do stuff that would maybe get her attention. She's doing herself no favours. Like, serious no favours. She was like 21 when they filmed this, I think. I think 22. 
she is the youngest person of the cast, I believe. And it really shows in quotes like, I don't understand horses and I don't understand anything. I don't think you can say it's because of her age that she's saying stuff like that. Majority of people wouldn't say stuff like that. Her age only factors into it with the fact that she's incredibly immature. Because when she filmed this, she would have been, what, four years older than me if she was 22? I think. Something like that. And, like, I was way more mature than she was in 2011. Did you know what traction meant? (laughs) I was aware of what traction meant because I actually paid attention at school. But the irony is, she is now, and I was looking this up yesterday, she is now a qualified lawyer. What? Yeah, I know. How is that even possible? She also owns her own business now. Well, look, if her family were rich, you know, they could help her buy that. But the whole lawyer thing... Hmm. She's a qualified lawyer. Oh, Jesus. Like, this was one of the things that I found out yesterday that I was sitting on for these episodes being like, this will actually, I think, surprise people. Grace managed to get through her exams. I have no she idea just how. maybe doesn't have common sense, as we said here. And I'm willing to give Grace the benefit of the doubt. If she has matured in 11 years, then I wouldn't be surprised. But she doesn't come across very well in these episodes. No. So Amelia only learned to drive a manual a couple of weeks before the race and immediately bugs a buggy. And unlike everyone else, her and Lucy just laugh when it happens. Because they're enjoying every experience. (laughs) I swear someone could light those two on fire and they'd be like, oh... (laughs) We're on the amazing race. Isn't this fun, Lucy? <laughs> well, it's it's just so brilliant to see a team like Lucy and Amelia be so appreciative of the experience. And I don't know whether it factors into the fact that they were meant to be on season one and then yeah. because their mum got sick, they got a, a second chance and they were just being really appreciative. But it's so refreshing to see a team who are not at all competitive with other teams. They're just taking every leg, one at a time, having as much fun as they can, and not really caring as much. Obviously, you couldn't have an entire cast of people who don't care that much, but it's nice to have a team who are here just for the the experience and the the challenge of being on The Amazing Race and pushing themselves, rather than being uber competitive, as, let's be honest, I would be. I know I'd be unbearable if I was on this show, which is why I don't want to do it. Compared to Andre and Damon, Lucy and Amelia are the happiest detainees I think I've ever seen. Oh my god, the laughing. It was just funny. (laughs) So Sticky and Sam decide to swap drivers, and Sticky does drive, and they live in fifth, with Shane and Andrew in sixth. James immediately grabs a clue from the flow rider, as does Kim, and they leave Wild Waddy in third and fourth respectively. Yeah, this task was quick for a lot of teams. It was, but it's also got a very steep learning curve because it hurts if you fuck this up. It really, really hurts if you do a flow rider and you do it badly. Because you just get careened into a wall. And they <laughs> turned the flow rider up to max. Not that I'm speaking from personal experience, 100%. But it really hurts if you hit a wall from a flow rider. I love how Steve just went totally to the right and totally off. <laughs> <laughs> He's the human gutter ball. <laughs> Michelle and Joe when they arrive at the uh, the race course say that they feel underdressed so they'll put their hair extensions back in 
and they say that they are used to being dolled up for it when they go to the races at home. Oh my God, why did they bring hair extensions on the race? Seriously. Come on. They have to look good at every opportunity. Oh my God. Rachel Riley also brought hair extensions onto the Amazing Race. Oh my God. When they put in the hair extensions, I'm thinking, that wasn't much of a difference in terms of of upshowing their appearance at an event. No, it wasn't. It was just a big, big waste of time. I'll also say, in their defense, there is a chance they could have just taken it out for the water park. They probably wore their hair extensions normally and took them out because of the water park. Yeah, maybe. So we are robbed of the highlight of them losing their hair extensions while losing the clue in the flow rider. Yeah. That's my suspicion when I watched that scene was that it's not that they deliberately brought hair extensions on the race to dull themselves up if they got the opportunity. It's that they probably took them out when they went to Wild Wadi. And Grace has another quote that can be taken out of context. I think, yeah, her and Joseph are at the racetrack by this point where Grace says, I need more men. Yeah, that's the very next thing. (laughs) And my theory from a couple of episodes ago that the Edisys hated Grace, and I'm pretty sure they hated Grace because they make her look like a fool every opportunity in this episode especially, and obviously make her the villain of the season, in my humble opinion. But they include quotes like, what is traction? I don't understand anything. I don't understand horses. The deeply creepy quote about how the only hot girl around Joseph is his sister. Like, ugh. And then the, oh, I need a couple of men. It's like, oh, Grace, they can't do this edit without you saying stupid things. But, oh, my God, just please shut up. She can't help herself. She can't. That's just that's just her. And Michelle and Joe's unique strategy to this challenge is to pick any horse with pink on it, and both teams still don't leave. And can I also point out, the races are 45 minutes apart. Can I just say, I just, I just thought of something. I just thought of something, you know, if, if I'm on the race, I would be careful with everything I say, um, because I knew it could be used. But I would probably think, okay, I'm on the podcast what could Michael use? This is what I'm not going to say, because if Michael could use it, I'm not putting it on television. I will also just point out from a friendly point that there is definitely something I'm clipping from this episode that you've said. I know. I heard you laugh. No, I that heard was Logan you laugh. In the background. <laughs> I was being very mature and not laughing at all. You were not being mature at all, because I heard you. I will clip it and you will hear who was sniggering and I promise you it was not me. Ugh. Because all I was thinking was, oh my God, this is the best Michelle quote ever. No, it's it wasn't really because I didn't say exactly everything that you'd probably uh, like me to say. I don't know. You were talking about being on your knees, Michelle. I know I was. I remember. <laughs> Jesus Christ. I think Jesus Christ is the name of one of the horses. <laughs> So Paul and Steve are the seventh team to leave June with Ross and Taryn in eighth. And they see the U-turn board and take it as a compliment. It is a moment of predictable truth. Lucy tells Amelia to keep it consistent and they're bogged on a small hill. And the camels are just as cooperative for Paul and Steve as everyone else. And Steve hates camels so much that this is now the only time he has spoken in four episodes. I think this is the only time he gets angry all season. Mm, He actually has a personality in this episode. And I, I say that as you well know, knowing that Steve used to live in the same city that I do. Right. 
he worked in a bar in Manchester for uh, for about two or three years, I believe. An Australian themed bar, appropriately. Hmm. But yeah, Steve's probably the the person I have the most connection to in this season in terms of geographical connection. And yeah, he doesn't say much at all through the season, mainly because his partner is Paul. And, you know, Paul is, as you said, the main character of the season. Lucy and Amelia take a moment to take in what they're actually doing. Paul and Steve get three flags before their camel throws a hissy fit. And Sticky grabs a clue straight away, as does Shane. Sarah just randomly picks a horse for race number three. (laughs) Stabs the paper. (laughs) Stabs the paper, and nobody wins again, so it's another 45-minute wait. And there are only six races, which is confirmed at this point. It shows you how spread out teams were this leg, if you can have these multiple 45-minute resets in between races, and you can have six of these races and not have everyone catch up. Mm. And it's also worth pointing out that with all the travel in this leg, it is as long for them to do the detour, the roadblock, and then go to this active route info as an entire mega leg would be on Modern Amazing Race. Yeah. The first six teams land at 6.10am, and they can't even start a maiden race course until 6pm. And two or three of these teams have been there for three races at this point. So that's another, what, hour and a half. So 7.30 roughly, race number three happened. And we have teams that get detained longer than a modern amazing race leg. We've not even got to the the important bit of this. <laughs> so Steve tells his camel not to be a douche. <laughs> Nothing like a douchey camel. <laughs> and they grab the fourth flag and leave the detour in eight, with Lucy and Amelia leaving June in last. Yeah, Amelia says, I have sand in places I never thought you could have sand. In your ears? Taryn gets the clue immediately to Ross's frustration at the water park, and he does it just for himself. Yeah, he just says, screw this. I, I didn't come all the way to a flow ride and not try it. And Shane and Andrew get lost, but find a policeman giving someone a ticket, and the policeman gives them an escort to the race course. Ross and Taryn and Kim and Donna both get lost, and Kim and Donna are so frustrated that they just park up and Kim walks off. Sticky and Sam apparently go to the horses every weekend, and they pick the winning horse, as to Joseph and Grace and James and Sarah. Now, Logan, what was the name of the winning horse? Oh, I didn't catch it. You mentioned it on your blog, which is why I'm, I'm mentioning it. <laughs> oh. Because, appropriately, Grace actually mispronounces it. Oh, God. <laughs> she calls it Rockdale, but it's actually Rochdale. Oh, really? Yes. But you know what? You know what's really weird? We have... Is she from Sydney? Because yeah. I saw her in Sydney once, so I don't know if she's from here. But we do have a suburb called Rockdale. But it's CK. It's not CH. Yeah, that's that's bizarre that she's done that. Maybe Rockdale is where her law firm is. And everyone tries to distract Shane and Andrews to make them miss the fourth race. And Sticky <laughs> and Sam say that they must be dumb because they're always at the back of the pack. I think Sam says, are they really cops? No, they're really 19 years old. And for the first time in human history, Rochdale wins something, and three teams finally leave. James and Sarah, Sticky and Sam, and Joseph and Grace. I'm allowed to make that joke, so you are not. Yeah, they actually, people bet money on Rochdale to win that race. And um, if you know anything about the history of Rochdale Football Club, you'll know that a particular division of the Football League was actually nicknamed the Rochdale Division because they were in it for 120 years without getting promoted. That's impressive. Yeah. 
Uh, teams must now drive themselves to the World Trade Center in the shadow of the Burj Khalifa and find the helipad on top of the four points by Sheraton, the pit stop for the start of the race. The last team to check in here may be eliminated. The best thing about this is the fact that actually they don't give any of that information on the episode. It's just like Dubai helipad or whatever it says on the screen. Just a random helipad. It didn't even you made you think that is it a helipad on top of the Burj Wiz Khalifa? Yeah, but one of the teams, I think it's Sticky and Sam, talk about it being the four points by Sheraton. Yeah, and then they show it in the clue on the episode. You can clearly see, and then it's okay. That makes more sense because I don't, I don't think it's possible to fit a helipad on the very top of the Wiz Khalifa. And the four points by Sheraton is somewhere I've stayed twice, not the Dubai one, but um, is responsible for maybe the most infamous TripAdvisor review that I have ever read for somewhere I've stayed. Because when my brother and I went to Toronto in 2012, we stayed at the uh, the Four Points by Sheraton in Mississauga, and um, someone posted a TripAdvisor review warning of the existence of prostitutes and cockroaches mm. in the hotel. Not prostitutes. Prostitutes. <laughs> <laughs> I thought they were trying to make some sort of pun. Nope, they said that it was riddled with prostitutes and cockroaches. <laughs> Which still, 11 years later, makes me laugh a lot. Did you find the cockroaches and prostitutes? I can confirm we found neither prostitutes nor cockroaches in the Four Points by Sheraton at Mississauga, which isn't even there anymore. Oh, it's like Marshall's. Yeah, it was, um, it, it was actually quite a nice hotel, but it's not there anymore, as far as I'm aware. Uh, so Joseph left the car lights on and their battery is flat and Sticky and Sam are driving towards the pit stop at 5.22pm which actually makes me think that the Maidan race course probably opened about 4. Steve, as you said, goes straight into the gutter but Paul grabs their clue and Lucy says she was petrified to be going into the water park as they don't get on. and She goes absolutely flying but Amelia gets very close before eventually grabbing the clue. Yeah, Lucy's just flailing about in that flow rider. That's why you sign the waiver. Oh yeah, there was, there was about three waivers I had to do when I did the flow rider. There is a lot of liability on a flow rider. And it is sunset, and Ross and Taryn have been driving for an hour and a half, and sunset at this time of year was about 5.27pm, for context. So they were driving about, getting lost, as Sticky and Sam were driving towards the pit stop. I don't understand how they can possibly get so lost. I mean, there's quite a lot of English speakers there. And if they're near one of the built-up areas, they could have asked anybody. I just don't understand. I think the thing you maybe have to bear in mind is they are running on fumes at this point. As you see with Kim and Donna, they're just absolutely shattered. They've been racing for two days since they left Naharaga Fort in Jaipur. Because they they did the, the must-vote U-turn, then they had to get into the centre of Jaipur. They had a 24-hour train to Delhi then the 10 or so hour flight to Dubai, and then had to do, at this point, 12 hours of racing, if you're on that first flight. They must have been shattered. Still, I'd never give up. No, you wouldn't give up, like Kim and Donna eventually do, but I have a little bit of sympathy for them just being really tired in this leg. There's so many of the legs in this season that are two, three, even four or five days long. I mean, I think the Istanbul to Paris to Cuba to more Cuba leg is actually about four days long in total. It's a long, long time they're racing for. And you know, this leg took a while when Paul seriously contemplates quitting. 
And then Amelia's only motivation for keeping going was, well, there's a chance somebody has taken a wrong turn or sold their shoes. You know how I mentioned there are some brilliant foreshadowy quotes in this season? The pinnacle of it is Amelia saying, we're not out of it because there's every chance someone could have taken a wrong turn. Immediately, of course, cutting to them maybe taking a little bit of a wrong turn. Maybe (laughs) taking the most wrong turn anyone has taken on any Amazing Race in 80 plus seasons. Poor Amelia with this quote. (laughs) So Grace flirts with the locals to get some jumper leads and inexplicably it works. Yeah, she charms, she says that she charmed a guy to give her a jump start. And then the guy proceeded to jumpstart the car as well. Oh my god. How do I podcast with you two? I don't Seriously. Know. <laughs> I haven't made any filthy jokes today, Michelle. I'm, I'm on my best behaviour. Oh god. As if you're never on your best behaviour. My god. <laughs> so the sun goes down and only two teams are left at the race course. And Michelle and Joe's horse wins, letting them lead in fourth. And in a race to the pit stop, James and Sarah are the first team to arrive, and they win a holiday to Queenstown in New Zealand, valued at 10,000 didgeridoloroos. They say that they were nice to each other this leg, and that it has finally paid off. And of course the irony is that Queenstown is one of the regular destinations that they send people en masse for honeymoons. Although they did not send um, Sarah there with her husband. They sent her to Broome instead. Do you think James and Sarah took this prize together? I was wondering that, actually. Well, let's just say James and Sarah didn't make it to the end of the season together, in terms of it airing. (laughs) Second is Sticky and Sam, third is Joseph and Grace, and fourth is Michelle and Joe. Shane and Andrew lose the last race, and they find out that they have to do the piggyback over the last 200 metres, and it's not on a nice grassy bit of the track, it's full of shit and mud, and they leave in fifth. Lucy and Amelia then drive towards a building, and they're greeted by men wielding machine guns in their face. And at that point, they freak out, rather than, you know, before when they're driving up to people <laughs> with machine guns. They drove their car into the Royal Palace, and are taken to a police station, and arrested. <laughs> yeah, there's a lot of camera footage that had to be skipped over. There's a lot of confessionals that they had to redo at the end of the race. Because they couldn't get through it without laughing. <laughs> if this happened to any other team, I would have been genuinely worried for them. Because this happened to Lucy and Amelia, this is like only a top 10 thing that happens to them during the season, I think. <clears throat> this is just one of those, oh yeah, that's a Lucy and Amelia thing. So good. You could not write this storyline into an Amazing Race episode. If we did a fake episode where we were like, oh yeah, Lucy and Amelia got themselves arrested, nobody would believe it. But because Lucy and Amelia do get themselves arrested, oh boy, does it make for some fun television. Trying to remember all the details. Was it Lucy I was talking to about the being detained? I don't think either of them are allowed back into the UAE. So her and the camera guy, I think it was. Right, like Lucy and the camera guy are blacklisted. Um, and the guys with the machine guns saw the guy filming with the camera in the back and thought that it was some sort of weapon, I think it was. Right. So why isn't Amelia blacklisted? Because she wasn't driving. Oh my god. But but the cameraman wasn't driving? No, but he had something that looked like a bomb. Why didn't the cameraman notice where they were driving? And if he, if he didn't notice 
Why wouldn't he say just stop? I think it would have been an interesting call. They can't influence the team's decisions. That's the problem. Well, I know, but if it's an actual health issue (laughs) of life and death. It's one of those really interesting production decisions that you have to make because from their point of view, they need some of the footage so that they can tell this story because you don't want a situation like what happens later in the season where something major happens that actually ends up taking a team out and you don't show it at all. So you can't have that happen. So to some extent, you do need to keep filming. But also, on the other hand, the more that you film, the more you are incriminating yourself. And you can't, from a production standpoint, influence the team's decision. Because if you do, and then it gets back to the other teams, then they can complain, and there'll be time credits involved. But I think think the other teams... I look if I was one of the other teams and all the cameraman did was just say stop don't go in there I'd be okay with that I don't think Grace would I think she would have used it to her advantage yeah it'd be funny if the if after this season the first season three all the teams get together and say okay can we all just unanimously agree to let production say stop if machine guns are involved, can we can we let that all be the universal line for all of us and be yep. okay that, hey, <laughs> you guys are allowed to interfere with the integrity of the race if people are sprinting at us with machine guns? Yes, exactly. <laughs> From a fairness point of view, production have always had the golden rule that they cannot influence the results of the race. Yeah, I know, but this is like machine guns. Yeah, I, I know. M- like morally... Obviously, you get the cameraman or the in-car producer or the in-car sound guy to go, girls, you're going into a restricted area. Find a place to turn around. But actually, in terms of an integrity point of view and in terms of them even having the potential of getting sued down the line for influencing the results of the race, they cannot do it. So there's a a weird balance that they have to strike here where it's like, Arguably, we can't tell them what to do and we can't lead them in any direction because it'll just open us up to potential shit down the line. But also, you know, we are in a bit of a dangerous situation here. Yeah. And the saving grace for them was the fact that the security guys tend to follow the last team. So the security guy was following them, so was able to get them out of this situation a lot earlier than probably he should have. That was the the balance that ended up happening, was like, yes, we are going to be leaving this country tomorrow. (laughs) We can't do it tonight, so we're going to be doing it tomorrow. And I think that maybe influenced the structure of the next leg. Yeah, I think that's the only reason why they were let go, because they said, yeah, we'll be out of the country tomorrow. So Ross and Taryn arrive after the races are over, as do Paul and Stephen. They leave in 6th and 7th, respectively. Shane and Andrew check in in 5th, and then Lucy and Amelia get released with a warning, and inexplicably are allowed to keep some of the footage. Paul and Steve check in sixth, and Steve actually shows emotion. Yeah, they thought, because all these trailing teams, it's not too, it doesn't happen too often where each of the bottom four teams are certain that they're eliminated, because with Paul and Steve, well, Paul makes fun of Steve for how enthusiastic he was during the piggyback ride, knowing it's never never going to happen again and makes horse noises the whole time and steve is stunned he has he, he has a huge reaction to find out he was sixth place and then R- ross and taryn come in and taryn has a big 
big reaction of just what we're we're not last we're we're not even second to last Taryn manages to actually raise her eyebrows at some point she shows <laughs> the most emotion that she shows all season I don't understand she's so just the face is just there's nothing there I don't <laughs> get it at some point someone needs to do a a meme of Taryn's face with loads of different moods that she's in, like angry, sad, happy, with and just have the same, same picture face. in every picture. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and Lucy and Amelia are flabbergasted to see the racetrack is still open for them. And this is the closest I've ever seen one or two people get killed because of a piggyback ride. <laughs> <laughs> it's this whole everyone just it's just jump and you hop on with Lucy and Amelia it's this whole process on what to do and how to do it I believe it was Lucy saying well I don't want to squat down and have you jump on because then I have to squat you back up it is as with everything with Lucy and Amelia a comedic masterclass <laughs> that, whole, that whole thing looked like it was going to break in half yeah, you see a wobble. <laughs> yeah, and it was it was a year and a half old. It's not like it was some old, mm. decrepit race course. It was 18 months old in Dubai, one of the most gaudy, money-infused places possible. And they nearly broke a major race course component. They have $100 million for the... They couldn't invest it on a sturdier railing? I'm, I'm sorry I ate so the much rain... ice cream when I was young. <laughs> The railing isn't meant to be sat on. That's the point. When you have a scale of, say, teams who are between 0 to 100% sure they're gone, Lucy and Amelia had to be at a full 100%, just completely certain at this point, because they're thinking, we were, we were on the last flight with the three teams. We got bogged down. God knows how many times in the dune buggies. Lucy nearly died in the flow rider. We got arrested and detained for several hours. We couldn't even do a proper piggyback ride. We for sure took the longest of any team in a piggyback ride. And it's pitch black. It's There's <laughs> there's no way they thought they had it. There's, you know, some teams say, oh, well, you never know what could happen. 0.1% chance that we're still in this. They had to be thinking 0.0% chance. At this point, they have not seen another team for eight hours, roughly. Well, if we're nice to them and say they landed at like 20 past eight, I think it was, and it took them an hour, two hours to drive the 90Ks to the Alpha Car Desert, they haven't seen another team since then. They haven't seen another team after they started the detour because they were dead last when they um, when they left the detour and Paul and Steve left right before them, but left the other side. They haven't seen a team at the roadblock. They haven't seen a team at World Wadi. They haven't seen another team at the race course. They are DOA, even ignoring the fact they were detained for probably two, three hours. Does DOA stand for detained or arrested? <laughs> oh, that was quick. That was very quick for you, Saunders. I'm quite proud of you. <sighs> they have absolutely no doubt in their minds that they are eliminated and they're finally going to end the race four legs in. And Ross and Taryn checking in seventh, as you said, and they are really, really shocked. Taryn actually shows emotion. The eighth place team is Lucy and Amelia, and it is the greatest check-in reaction in Amazing Race history. Lucy's face! Oh my god! It was actually frozen in time. <laughs> it is 
perfection. No way. <laughs> when they check in. <laughs> no way. I'm still in. <gasps> no way. You lie. Like Lucy and Amelia, when they check in, ignoring the detaining, they have already become the internet sweethearts just from that. But when they check in, they cement their legacy as being one of the greatest Amazing Race teams purely for their reaction to Grant Voller saying, girls, you're team number eight. And Lucy takes five seconds of <gasps> before she even considers breaking. She doesn't realise she's doing this. She doesn't realise how <laughs> hilarious she is. But they are shocked that anyone has been behind them in this leg. I think Lucy was trying to mentally work out what could another team have done <laughs> <I'm> wrong. Done. <laughs> She's thinking, was it four-hour penalty? Did they also drive into the Royal Palace? She's just trying to work out any of these crazy, wild possible scenarios. Did somebody get run over by a, by a semi-truck? Uh, what happened? The answer is, of course, that Kim and Donna could not find the roadblock and have parked up and just given up because they had no money. To be fair to Kim and Donna, they we see them quit about three separate times during the day because there is that one time where they had the flat tire and were already in tears then. There is that other time where Kim just pulls over and just goes for a walk. Just just by himself for a bit, and then come comes back to hug Donna for a while, and you think, oh, are they? Is this when they? Is this when they quit? But no, they try to keep driving and driving around again. So, three separate times during the drive that they had thrown in the towel. So, at least they really pushed themselves. And when Grant strolls over and gets them out of the car, they look like a team that had nothing left to give. Yeah, I do have to point out, as we have said in previous episodes, go to a hotel. Ask the front desk for a tourist map. They will probably have one. Ask the front desk to give you directions. They will be happy to. It seems like they weren't looking for, and I'm sure they're, if they were listening, they're going to say, you have no idea of what we tried that didn't make it onto air. Yeah, I, I presume they did all these things, but... The first thing that you should always do if you've not got a map on a show like Amazing Race is try and go to a hotel. Hotels are crying out to help people. They are the most useful resource that you can have on a show like Amazing Race. We didn't see any footage of them going into hotels. That's the part where maybe you have to consider maybe they didn't go inside a hotel because we, we didn't see it. Yeah, yeah that's, that's my suspicion because if they'd gone into a hotel, they would have at least had better directions than they were working off. They didn't have any sort of map, so so I'd be very surprised if they went into a hotel and the hotel went, no, I'm not giving you a tourist map, because usually they give them out like candy. We also saw dur- during the leg with Ross and Taryn when they got lost, where Ross says, oh, well, I haven't driven this city before, and then Taryn just shouts, well, ask somebody then. Please just ask and not just try to figure it out on your own. Otherwise, we're going to be driving in circles all day like Kim and Don ended up doing, so... I will obviously caveat this with the fact that I've never been to Dubai. I've done Abu Dhabi briefly. Wasn't a big fan. But I've never driven in Dubai. I don't know how difficult the roads were. As we saw when Sam was driving to the detour, they did actually have to put a route marker on one of the exits for people to go to the Alpha Car Desert. 
So maybe it was more difficult than you'd anticipate. But it doesn't feel like him and Donna tried going to a hotel, tried even a police station. Police station, arguably Lucy and Amelia did that a bit too much. But <laughs> a police station probably would point you in the right direction at least. Well, Shane and or, Andrew had cops help them. Yeah, Shane and Andrew had the police escort. But I think if you found a police station and you said, I'm really lost, have you got any sort of map that I could use? Would you be able to print me a map off? I think they'd probably still say yes. Yeah, we don't see Kim and Donna not just not stop at hotels. We don't see them interact with any other people, right? No, they yeah. don't interact with people for half of the episode from what we've seen. And arguably there's stuff that's cut out and they were trying to find this obscure skyscraper that even 11 years later, we still don't know where it was or what it was. But I, I just feel like they were so shattered by the process of this leg because it was a very long leg that they just kind of didn't think to do any of these things. On top of that, because they had no money, that means they weren't eating or drinking anything the whole day. They were as much as you can be with running on empty on The Amazing Race. And the deep irony is... Do you know how far away from the pit stop they were? Very They're close, were they? Very close. Seven minutes driving. Oh, God. But they weren't even at the road. They hadn't found the roadblock, right? Yeah. But that's how far Grant had to travel. It was. It's literally across the road from the pit stop. But also, on that side of the road, there is a bunch of hotels that they could have asked to help. Just, that's why I point it out more than anything. Just makes you wonder. <laughs> just wonder. Yeah. Was it just, it had to be just pure fatigue then for them to not think of all these solutions. For a season where so many of the cast were vocal on social media about what happened and what didn't happen, it feels like there is a lot of grey area with this leg especially. And it's more surprising when uh, you think, well, Kim and Donna just started the day depleted, but they got out of the detour in second place, and those teams who were third place or further down needed an hour and a half or so or two hours to catch up to people at the racetrack so i don't know if it was just after the dune buggy where kim and donna just started feeling the effects of having no money to buy food or anything and kim and donna update they got married not long after the race that's not surprising they were married about june 2012 i think it was so by the time that these episodes aired. I think they were already married. And um, I believe that it was a 12-hour pit stop. Just so they could help get Lucy and Amelia out of the country. Yeah, my suspicion is it was meant to be a bit longer, but the Lucy and Amelia situation may have shortened the pit stop a little bit. But looking at the departure times for next leg, I think it was more than likely a 12-hour pit stop. So people are absolutely shattered by this point. (laughs) The good thing with Kim and Donna, though, is... They got out right when the journey that they were expected to go on themselves on a personal level. I think this seemed like the episode where they figured out what they wanted out of the experience. Yeah, and also if Kim and Donna were still in the next leg, I think they would have got rushed off Twitter. Because I think that they probably would have been part of the group who were not particularly nice to Paul. So it might have been a good idea for them to get out at the end of leg four and not make the poll situation any worse for themselves. Oh, people got run off of Twitter during episode 5? 
No, but with how angry Kim and Donna were about Paul, especially in the first four legs, do you really think that they would have come out smelling of roses after the situation that happens with Paul in leg five? Especially if they had witnessed the the incident between Paul and Grace? Yeah, that's true. They probably did save, preserve their reputation by going out here. I think they are looked upon fondly as one of the surprisingly competent older male-female teams rather than the accusations of bullying that would have come if they'd survived to leg five. Mm. Thing is, if it was any other season, Kim and Donna would have made a much deeper run, but this was just a brutal leg and they didn't make the smartest decision with giving up all of their money at the very, very start of a very, very long leg. Yeah, as I've said before, this cast is so stacked that you can be devastated by everyone who goes home from Final Ten onwards. Kim and Donna in any other season would have made a very decent run, I think, and been big characters. But as it happens, they were big characters for three episodes of the season, getting two of those three episode titles, can I point out, and then they just kind of fade away in this one. So next time, the race moves to a new night, Monday, as a split leg in Dubai and Istanbul sees Paul win even more fans, and more than one team struggle to finish the leg. Another very fun episode, leg five. Yep, sets up a lot of things for the rest of the season. Have you guys got anything else you want to say about episode four? Uh, no. Done everything. Good. It's been a long episode. To be fair, we did talk for 22 minutes before we started recording, and I blame Saunders entirely for that. Yes. (laughs) So, thank you for listening to our Amazing Race Australia recap. We'll be back next week to recap episode number five. Don't forget you can contact us on Twitter, Facebook, YouTube, or Instagram, where we are RTV Warriors, or you can email us and contact at rtvwarriors.com. Logan's on Twitter at LogsBquacky. Michelle is Bear3333333. And I'm MJ Harmstone. You can also support us on Patreon at patreon.com slash rtvwarriors. See you next week. Bye. Peace out and just chill till the next episode. Ah, fuck it up! Ah, fuck it up!